0: If I were to say to you that I have the secret to eternal, unending happiness, satisfaction, joy, and if I were to say to you I am willing today to share this secret with you, and if I were to say the secret is mung beans, you might take my word for it and go put a mung bean or two in your oatmeal tomorrow. And if you did, And if you ate and inwardly digested the mung beans and then felt nothing, no lasting bliss, happiness, satisfaction, joy, you might think, that guy does not know what he's talking about, and never again would you put your faith in mung beans. However, this is not always the logic that we follow. There are times when someone or something says to us, I have the secret to everlasting happiness and joy and satisfaction. And all you need to do is work really hard to build up that $10,000 or $100,000 or $1,000,000 and you think, all right, I'm going to do it. And so you work really hard for years and years. You don't spend enough time with your kids. You don't spend enough time with your spouse. You work through vacation and you finally get to this big goal. And you think, I still seem to have problems. My life is not perfect. And then your greed says to you, that's because I meant $2 million. Now you have to work for $2 million. So you set about working for the $2 million and the portfolio doubles again. And then you think, well, I'm still not there yet. Maybe there's something else out there I need to work for. It's the logic of greed. It's the logic of gluttony. Maybe because the second piece of birthday cake didn't do it. Maybe the third is what's really gonna bring satisfaction and true joy. It's very rare that you build a friendship on the basis of two people who don't know one another, getting down, sitting down together, comparing CVs, seeing all your your amazing accomplishments, shaking hands in mutual admiration, going your separate ways. And yet, when you meet somebody new, you may have this impulse to say, you know, I am kind of a big deal. Vanity gets us, pride gets us, gluttony gets us, greed gets us. No matter how many times we engage them, no matter how bad the results each time, we have this faith that this time, it's the right thing to do. This time it's going to make me happy. This time it's going to pay off. We often talk about sins as infractions, murder, theft, not keeping the Sabbath, worshiping idols. And sometimes we talk about sins as greater phenomena, racism, homophobia. But today in Romans, Paul talks about something very different. He speaks not of sins, but of sin singular. He speaks of of sin as this force within us driving us, compelling us to engage in these behaviors that we generally know are not good for ourselves or those around us. It's this thing which is compelling us within. It sounds a lot like the Jewish concept. So in Judaism, in rabbinic Judaism, you have these two drives within you, these two forces. You have the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Tov. The Yetzer hurrah is the evil inclination. It's that in the human heart which tends towards cruelty, selfishness, unkindness, pride, vanity, gluttony. And then you have the Yetzer tov, the good inclination, that which drives us towards truth, beauty, justice, goodness, joy, love, and they're battling it out within us. St. Paul says, Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. What does this mean? So our members are our component parts. Our thoughts, our words, our heart, our hands present all that you are and all that you have to God as tools, as instruments for God's righteousness. The difference between Paul's viewpoint And our modern viewpoint is that we often have this illusion of total freedom. I can either serve God, I can serve sin, or I can just serve myself, just do my own thing. But for Paul and for rabbinic Judaism, there are no free agents. Our freedom occurs not in our actions, but simply whom we choose to serve. Serving God or serving sin. So what does service to God look like? What is presenting our members as instruments, as tools for God's righteousness, tools for God to work through? What does that look like? In part, it looks like our Old Testament reading today. So the sacrifice of Isaac, contrary to popular opinion, is not a story primarily about human sacrifice. You'll sometimes read that, oh, this was this primitive people's way of telling You know we all have the inclination every now and then to sacrifice other humans and it's a wrong thing. It's not a morality story. It's a story of someone who when he looks upon God sees only God's goodness only God's love only God's caretaking for us no matter what things around us would suggest. So Abraham, God says to Abraham, go out of the city of Ur leave behind everything you know everybody you know and go out into the desert and abraham's like that sounds like a terrible idea but i trust god god says you will have a child and through this child your descendants will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea and abraham says that's phenomenally unlikely but i trust god And then, God says, sacrifice this one child through whom you will have all these descendants. And Abraham takes Isaac up Mount Moriah, lays him on the pyre, but says, God will provide the lamb for sacrifice. Despite all the circumstances, he still has this single-minded, dogged trust in God's goodness, in God's peace, in God's love. And what happens? Abraham, do not touch the boy. Here's a ram. God provides. And what if we are not quite Abraham level? What if we're like, you know, I believe in God. I go to church. I say my prayers usually. Um, But I I do see a lot of terrible stuff in the world and I'm not always confident that things are going so well. well. We have today's gospel. You don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be St. Clair or St. Francis. You don't have to be Abraham or Sarah. In fact, whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the righteous person's reward. Whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple will not lose their reward. If you take a teeny, tiny part of all that you are and all that you have and turn that to God's purposes, allow that to be an instrument for God, he will take your inch and turn that into a mile. He will take your tiny sacrifice of gluttony or greed or pride or whatever it is and magnify it. But the more that we do that, the better we will get. At trusting in God. So your greed may say to you, I am the only road to happiness. If it's only if you have a ton of stuff that you will have security and joy and purpose and meaning. And we can say to our greed, that makes total sense. Yes, I would like a Lamborghini and six houses, but God will provide the lamb. I'm going to trust God instead. Our anger might tell us the only way to you to, for you to feel peace and satisfaction is to get even with the cutting remark, the witty retort, the actual act of vengeance. And we can say to our anger, you know, this is by all the world's standards. You're absolutely right. This is what makes sense. However, I'm going to trust in God's peace. God will provide the lamb. And the more we say no to these passions, the more we say no to anger and greed and pride and vanity and so forth, the more we grow in that trust for God until we get to this point where, like Abraham, we are willing to sacrifice all that we are and all that we have in the perfect trust of our Heavenly Father. Amen.